This week on Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately? We all sin. Those who believe in Jesus Christ ask Him for forgiveness from their sins. 1 John 1.9 tells us that when we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive those sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. End of story, right? Sadly, no. Many Christians struggle with guilt long after Christ has forgiven them. How can we break free of our guilt to live the joyful life God intended? That's the topic this week in Chapter 8 of Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately? This book is a series of messages from Pastor Dave to help believers find genuine peace and true freedom from the bondage of what he called besetting infirmities. Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately is brought to you by World Challenge, a ministry that strives to help all mankind live a better life and make a better world through Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners with biblical encouragement and thoughtful commentary. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you. Please consider joining our donors who believe in World Challenge's mission. You can donate on our website, worldchallenge.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. Now, Chapter 8, Christian, Lay Down Your Guilt, read by Jason Staples. Christians are strange creatures. They travel the world preaching the love of Jesus and His forgiveness for any and all sin. They tell the heathen, the addict, the alcoholic, the prostitute, Come to Christ and be forgiven. He forgave your sins at the cross, so come and receive forgiveness and healing for all your hurts. You can have peace and be free of guilt. As a result, sinners who have been guilty of every conceivable kind of dark and evil deed gladly come to Christ and are instantly forgiven and delivered from their guilt. The hardest thing in the world for the Christian to do is receive for himself the same kind of love and forgiveness he preaches to sinners. We Christians find it so very difficult to allow ourselves the same freedom from guilt we offer through Christ to harlots and drunkards. Christians sin against the Lord and then proceed to carry about an excruciating load of guilt. They want to pay for their failure. They want to be punished. They want to do penance or suffer some kind of hurt before they are forgiven. But Lord, argues the Christian, I sinned with my eyes wide open. I knew better. I knew before I did it I was breaking a commandment. How can I be forgiven for grieving my Savior by such insolence? I shook off the conviction of the Holy Spirit and stubbornly went ahead and committed sin. The Danger of Guilt Guilt is dangerous in that it destroys faith. The enemy of our souls is not at all interested in making Christians into adulterers, addicts, or prostitutes. He's interested in one thing only, and that is turning Christians into unbelievers. He uses the lusts of the body to bind the mind. Satan did not want Job to become an adulterer or an addict to pain pills or a wine guzzler. No, Satan wanted one thing of Job. He wanted him to curse God. He wanted to destroy Job's faith in God. So it is today. Our real battle is not really with sex, alcohol, drugs, or lust. It's with our faith. Do we believe God is a deliverer? Is He there to help in the hour of temptation? Are His promises true? Is there freedom from sin? Is God really answering prayer today? Will He bring us out of the battle victorious? Will joy follow weeping? Satan wants you to be so crushed with guilt that you let go of your faith. He wants you to doubt God's faithfulness. 
He wants you to think nobody really cares, that you will live in misery and heartbreak, that you will always be a slave to your lust, that God's holiness is unreachable, that you are left alone to work out your own problems, that God no longer cares about your needs and feelings. If he can get you to the point of despair, he can flood you with unbelief. Then he has succeeded in his mission. The three simple steps toward atheism are guilt, doubt, and unbelief. Guilt, like a raging cancer, can eat away at the spiritual vitality of a Christian. It causes a person to lose control of life. It leads to a desire to quit or retire from spiritual activity, and it finally brings on physical pain and disease. Like cancer, guilt feeds upon itself until all spiritual life is gone. Weakness and a sense of shame and failure are the end results. I meet Christians across this nation who go about continually burdened down by an overwhelming load of guilt. They have made themselves believe they are traitors to the Lord. They live in spiritual agony and grief every waking hour because of some hidden sin or weakness. They cannot appropriate divine forgiveness for themselves, and they live in dreaded fear of God's judgment upon themselves or their families. The Causes of Guilt who are these guilt-ridden, sad souls? It is often that married individual who for years has been captive in a loveless marriage and finds someone else to light up his boring life. Somewhere along the way, that marriage lost its romance. Hurts would no longer heal. The lines of communication were cut. Then one day, without even seeking it, someone else enters the picture. A tender word, a tender touch, and there is a new kind of awakening. Someone else ignites those dying embers and the secret love affair is born. They take comfort in the words of the song that says, How can it be wrong when it seems so right? Often there are children to consider, a reputation, a job, or a ministry. But the one thing above all else that brings on the guilt is the knowledge that God's laws are being broken. God won't smile on it. He won't put his blessing on it. Then the war begins. They are torn between a conviction of having finally found the one true love of life and the innate desire to stay true to God in marriage vows. And the guilt keeps piling up. They want out of a hopeless marriage without displeasing God. There are multiplied thousands caught in this kind of trap, even ministers. The more they love God, the worse their guilt. A few are able to shake off the guilt and go about indulging their secret affairs, having justified their actions with elaborate excuses. But most cannot be dishonest with their own hearts, so they go on living with accumulating guilt. What about all those other secret lusts of the flesh that haunt the soul? What about the Christian who overindulges in drink on the sly or has too many prescription drugs that have caused a dependency? What about the thousands of Christian men caught up in porn binges? A strange attraction sends them back into the X-rated movie houses or to the newsstands for nudie magazines, not once or twice. But nearly every time they are alone, especially when traveling. Yes, I'm talking about Christians. Secret affairs, drinking, prescription drugs, pornography, homosexuality, lesbianism, and many other human weaknesses are all prime causes of guilt. The sinner can indulge in any or all of these sins and not battle with guilt. But not so for the true child of God. Saints that ain't. Sadly, many pious Christians hide behind Puritan masks and go about like the publican of Christ's time, who boasted, Thank God I'm not like such sinners. 
To hear them tell it, their marriages are flawless and their morals are saint-like. Don't believe it. We have all sinned and come short of God's holiness. There are none righteous in their own strength. Show me the saintliest soul on earth and I'll show you one who battles temptation as much as any other Christian alive. And if a Christian would look to cure himself of being judgmental, all he has to do is look inside himself and be honest about his own inner struggles. That should keep us all from worrying about another's spiritual condition. One of the good things that should come out of a Christian's inner struggle with the flesh is that he learns to quit throwing stones. That is, if he's honest with himself. The Word instructs in Colossians 3.13, Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Perhaps, out of all the terrible struggles Christians are now enduring, we will discover a new spirit of tolerance and love for others. Perhaps, being forgiven so much ourselves, we will in turn forgive others for their shortcomings. As Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Tested by the Word Is there freedom from guilt? Can Christians deal with infatuations, addictions, and weaknesses in an honest and godly way and find true freedom from sin's power? Will God keep forgiving while the struggle goes on? If that besetting sin keeps overcoming the believer, will God continue to forgive until the victory comes? There have been some very godly people who have confessed to me that God's Word tried them severely. The promises sound as if they should work almost automatically, but they don't. The commandment says don't, but our weak flesh can't seem to obey. We go ahead and do what we know to be sinful. The word says in Romans 6-9, sin hath no more dominion over you, yet it doesn't seem to work in everyday life. As Romans 7-24-25 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The question is, where do I get the power to resist the lust of my heart? Is it sheer willpower? Do I grit my teeth and say, I'll simply walk away from it, never to let it hold me in its power? Does God expect me to resist with what I have? Can I win over my besetting sin in one moment of finality? Others say glibly, just stop it, quit it, walk away from it, you know better, what's so difficult? Oh yes, but those same people who find it so easy to walk away from all the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the world find it nearly impossible to walk away from their own loneliness, sorrows, fears, or struggles with health. Every Christian on this earth fights inner battles. Not one is immune. The way to get rid of guilt is to get rid of sin. It sounds simple, but it isn't. You don't just make up your mind to drop the third party who has entered your life. Many have tried that and found it didn't work. You don't just walk away from things that bind. The scripture haunts you. It says, Put off the old man. Lay aside the besetting sin. Flee the appearance of evil. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That is exactly what you want. Freedom from the sin that so easily besets you. To walk in the spirit completely and to live a life totally pleasing to God. But you seem helpless in putting off those desires. When you can't seem to overcome and you keep falling flat on your face, failure after failure, then you begin to think, something is terribly wrong with me. I am a sensuous, wicked, weak child. God must be fed up with all my failures. I've made him mad. That is when guilt floods in like a tidal wave. 
we all face the same struggles. Take heart, child of God. Everybody is in the same boat. Not all of us battle a secret affair or an addiction to the flesh. Some of us struggle with a more insidious enemy, doubt. To doubt God's concern and daily involvement in our lives can cause terrible guilt. But there is no temptation befallen you that is not common to all men. You are not going through some strange trial unique only to you. Thousands more are going through the very same struggle. The most important move you will ever make in your life is the move you make right after you fail God. Will you believe the accuser's lies and give up in despair? Or will you allow yourself to receive the forgiving flow of God's love, which you preach so much to others? Do you fear asking his forgiveness because you are not really sure you want to be free from that thing which holds you? Do you want the Lord, yet secretly long for something or someone not lawfully yours? God is able, in answer to sincere prayer, to make you want to do his perfect will. Ask him to make you want to fulfill his will. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When a Christian sins, he feels shut out of God's presence just as Adam did. God is always there waiting to talk, but sin causes man to withdraw. God never withdraws, only man withdraws. Actually, the person living in sin is afraid to open up to God, for fear he will ask a commitment to holiness before the sin is ready to be surrendered. The sinning Christian knows this. If I get close to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will put his finger on my secret sin, and I'll have to give it up. I'm not ready for that yet. It does no good to ask yourself, how did I get into this mess? Why do I have to be tempted along these lines? Why such a trial when I didn't ask for it or want it? Why me, Lord? Don't blame the devil either. We sin when we are drawn away and enticed by the lust of our own hearts. Don't justify your weaknesses. Never justify your wrongdoing. There is only one way to become hardened by sin, and that is to justify it. Christians who learn to hate their sin will never give themselves over to its power. As Christians, we must never lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Stay uncomfortable with your sin. I heard it said of an evangelist who lives in open, shameless adultery. Well, at least he's honest about it. He's not trying to hide his adultery as some ministers who do it on the sly. I see nothing honest in that at all. The adulterous evangelist has been totally blinded by a multiplicity of justifications. He has no guilt because he has given himself over to a lie and has become the victim of a reprobate mind. On the other hand, the person who continues to struggle, hating a garment spotted, despising all sin against God, has all heaven standing by to help. Until the victory comes, continue to despise all your wrongdoing. Never limit God's forgiveness. My dear Christian friend, never limit God's forgiveness to you. His forgiveness and long-suffering have no limit. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 17, 4, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Can you believe such a thing? Seven times a day this person willfully sins before my very eyes, then says, I'm sorry and I am to forgive him continuously. 
How much more will our Heavenly Father forgive His children who come in repentance to Him? Don't stop to reason it out. Don't ask how or why He forgives so freely. Simply accept it. Jesus did not say, Forgive your brother once or twice, then tell him to go and sin no more. Tell him if he ever does it again, he will be cut off. Tell him he's a habitual, hopeless sinner. No, Jesus called for unlimited, no-strings-attached forgiveness. It's God's nature to forgive. David said in Psalm 86.5, For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. God is waiting right now to flood your being with the joy of forgiveness. You need only to open up all the doors and windows of your soul and allow His Spirit to flood you with forgiveness. John, speaking as a Christian, wrote in 1 John 2.2, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. According to John, the goal of every Christian is to sin not. That means the Christian is not bent toward sin, but instead leans toward God. But what happens when that God-leaning child sins? 1 John 2.1 and 1.9 say, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lay down your guilt now. You don't just lay down your guilt, your sin, or your inner struggle as if it were a jacket you strip off from your back. You lay it all down through a supernatural operation of God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit responds to the broken heart that reaches out in faith to lay hold of God's promises. He then imparts His divine nature to that empty vessel. A miraculous series of events begins to unfold. Suddenly, there comes to the saint of God a renewed desire to confess, to yield to God's will, to become more like Jesus, to see things in the light of eternity, to experience a rush of surrender. The Holy Spirit brings the yielded vessel around to God's way of thinking. We go after things we believe are good for us. We covet what is not ours. But God looks way down the road, and He knows what is best. Our ways and thoughts are not His ways or His thoughts. God will give His surrendered child something even better if He lays down His own plan. What is it that stands between you and God? Is it a secret sin, lust, doubt, fear, anxiety? What is the cause of your guilt? Be willing to lay it down and surrender at the foot of the cross. Have a funeral right there. Do your hurting and dying. Then rise up in obedience and walk in the Spirit. God will not let you down. He will replace that empty place with something far better, something pleasing to His own heart, something providing more joy to you than what you gave up. Lay down your guilt, my friend. You don't need to carry that load another minute. Open up all the doors and windows of your heart and let God's love in. He forgives you over and over again. He will give you the power to see your struggle through to victory. If you ask, if you repent, you are forgiven. Accept it now. You've been listening to Chapter 8 of Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately? Read by Jason Staples. 
This podcast is brought to you by World Challenge. World Challenge is incredibly thankful for the support we receive from many people across the country who believe in our mission. As you feel led, please consider making a gift to the mission of reaching every person for Christ on our website, worldchallenge.org. On the next episode of Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately? Stop condemning yourself. Pastor Dave has some ways to overlook your failures. Until then, we pray that you find hope and healing in the midst of discouragement.